0: 2022 is here, with snow as well. Finally, which is great. Thank you, Pastor Michael. Bring that here. That's awesome. Um, it is an exciting time of the year, and uh, you know we're between two sermon series right now. So I thought, really, what better way to start the new year than by looking at the Book of Ecclesiastes? So, you know, I know you've been making New Year's resolutions, like to go to the gym and lose weight or whatever, but it's all pointless. <laughs> <laughs> that new Lego gift you got at Christmas, it's meaningless. The PlayStation 5, the Apple Watch, whatever it is, it's all meaningless. They're chasing after the wind. Just go ahead and return it all now. But uh, that, that doesn't put you in the Christmas spirit. doesn't get you excited for the new year? Well, in all seriousness, we are actually going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, but don't worry, we're not going to stay there for the entire sermon. We're going to start there this morning, but we're not going to stay there. We're going to start in the dark, but we're going to move into the light as we consider one of the great themes Of Christmas, which is comfort and joy. And we've talked already a lot about joy and leading up to Christmas. And here, as we prepare to enter the new year, I want to talk about comfort. And more specifically, we're going to look at how the comfort promised to God's people through the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ and then takes root in our own lives. So, 1st we're going to start in the book of Ecclesiastes because that's where the rubber meets the road for so many of us at this time of year. Because behind the, the kind of shiny tinsel and, and beautiful wrapping paper, our lives are constantly poking through and reminding us that we don't live in some kind of serene Thomas Kincaid painting, Right? We don't live in some beautifully staged and photoshopped Christmas card photo. That, that's not real. That's not the reality of our day-to-day lives. Just one little tiny example. We have some friends of ours who came to visit us this week uh, from, well, from California via Michigan. But they drove out on, on Thursday, and I woke up Friday morning to learn that uh, our one friend's high school son had been up all night with food poisoning and the effects of food poisoning, and then uh, we're taking care of all of that, and then I look up at the ceiling in the kitchen, and there's this huge wet patch on the ceiling that's appeared magically overnight as a gift for us. to enjoy from a leaking pipe under the bathtub, this big pool of water up there. And then we're dealing with all that. And I've got my, my arm like underneath the bathtub trying to find where the leak is. And, and right as I'm doing that, we get a text, all of us as pastors saying, hey, uh, this is Pastor Steven. Our whole family's sick. I know it's supposed to preach on Sunday, but I really, I don't think I can make it. Can one of you preach? <laughs> and it's like, uh, we can handle it. And then Come downstairs, uh, back into the kitchen, looking at the leak, and I look over at the fridge, and now and the fridge has this fancy digital display. and It says off. I'm like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so now I'm over at the computer. I'm trying to like figure out diagnostic codes for the for the fridge, and then and then meanwhile, on a more serious note, my my sister in law's uh, mother uh, has been in hospital. In critical care and intensive care unit, she's been battling cancer for two years and has got an infection and has been in hospital since Christmas, and they've been with her at the hospital every single day. And as some of you know, like we just got back uh, from an appointment with the oncologist for my own dad, who's just battled, started his own battle with pancreatic cancer. And I, I don't say all this so you can be like, oh, I'm so sorry, you have a leaking roof, like... I'm saying this as an example to say, look, this is the reality of life. Like, you're all dealing with this. You've all had pipes break and sicknesses in your family, interrupt vacations and plans and everything else. As pastors, we're walking with you through issues in your lives right now. And I know there's all kinds of other mess that you haven't even shared with us or maybe even with anyone. Things that you're wrestling with, weights that you're carrying around with you. And not to say that everything is just doom and gloom and horrible. Like, we still had a great Christmas. We still had a great time with our family. We'll fix the roof when we get there. I mean, there's still so much joy that God brings into our lives. But if we're honest, and the author of the book of Ecclesiastes is nothing if not brutally honest, then this holiday season can really be a difficult time for a lot of people. Right? Relational wounds that we thought were, we had dealt with, they, they get reopened once again. Financial struggles become that much more acute. Sickness everywhere. We're surrounded by sickness right now. So what do you do with all of that? Where do you go for comfort, for strength, for help when all of that reality starts pressing in? Where else can we go? but to the bible look at this verse i just came across as as reading in uh, in romans chapter 15 for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that part where i was like yes for my learning but look that we you and me through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope This isn't some just stuffy old book full of laws and rules and regulations and information and history. This book, it was given by God to bring us comfort and hope. Isn't that what we're looking for? This book, God's Word, it's alive. It's living, it's breathing. It works actively in our lives. And so although I joked about it at the beginning, like, oh, Ecclesiastes, everything is meaningless, it's an amazingly uh, honest look behind the shiny, happy veneer that we so often hide behind. So look look with me, look at this, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4. One small example, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead are more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. It's like, wow, you thought you were having a bad day. It's like, get this guy some eggnog, quick. (laughs) Like, he is in a bad place. But, you know, I don't want anyone to raise their hands, but have any of you felt this low before? When it seems as if no one sees your pain or really understands what you're going through, when it looks as if everything is going sideways, and you have no idea what's going to happen next. When the ceiling tiles are dripping water, when people are being sick, when their dogs chewed up your new slippers, or your brother has broken your scratched your sunglasses, or you know, the new toy is broken. When the world keeps spinning and the world around you keeps churning, and you feel like you're stuck in this sea of moving people, unable to move, your feet glued to the ground. And the reminder to us here from Ecclesiastes is that God sees you. He gets it. Look, this this is, how can I say that with such confidence? Like, you may be thinking, okay, Jonathan, uh, I I don't know that God really does actually see what's going on in my life. Maybe he sees your pain, he doesn't see mine. And maybe it doesn't feel like it to you right now, and I'm not going to question your experience, but... As a follower of Christ, you are not alone. Remember, these are the very words of God himself, preserved by the Holy Spirit, passed down through time to us today. And these words have power. Remember Romans 15. Power that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So, the fact that we have this text in Ecclesiastes is God's way of saying clearly, Look, I get it. Like, this is, I've written it down. Like, this is proof that I totally, completely understand the depth of your isolation and your pain and your sorrow and your suffering. It's right here in His Word, written for our encouragement. But of course, that only happens if you take and read, if you open it. Right? That's why you must, must, must have some kind of plan for spending time in His Word this year. Like, I'm not talking about like, hey, start a new plan to read through the whole Bible in a year. Like, I don't care if you read the whole thing. I'm talking quality time in God's Word versus quantity. It, It means reading it, listening to it. We there's so many different uh, audio apps that you can download now, praying God's Word, journaling God's Word, whatever it takes to ensure that you are drinking deeply from this source of strength that God has provided for us. If you need help figuring out what that looks like, talk to Pastor uh, uh, Mark or to Pastor Michael or to myself. would love to help you with that. But this is also why I wanted to start today by reading from Ecclesiastes, because sometimes the clock strikes midnight on New Year's Eve, and despite all the balloons and fireworks and hoopla and everything else, honestly, it seems like nothing has really changed at all. It's January 1, and it looks a whole lot like December 31st did. But I don't want you to lose hope, because God is constantly on the move and he has not forsaken any of us. All right. I promised we would move on from Ecclesiastes, and we're gonna do that right now. Out of the darkness into the light. I know Christmas is uh, is over, but I have to say it is such a fun time of year, right? All the decorations and the, the parties and the presents and the wrapping paper. Isn't it weird, like, how you can take even just a, a lame present, and the moment you put wrapping paper and a bow on it, it's like, this is awesome. That's what makes white elephant gift exchanges so much fun, because you know they're going to be the dumbest gifts. But it doesn't matter. I still get excited. I'm like, I'm going for the biggest gift back because this looks awesome, and it's like a roll of toilet paper or something, you know? I mean, but you put the wrapping paper, and it's great. I... I get so excited, I get very distracted when we're wrapping presents, so maybe maybe some of you can relate, I actually forget what I've wrapped, so I'll be wrapping something and then I look down and it's all wrapped, I'm like, man, this thing looks awesome, who's this for, like, I'm really excited now, Kari's over here shaking her head like, oh, but as we jump ahead in the Bible, as we move forward from Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at Isaiah 40, which we just read uh, a moment ago. Because as exciting as these gifts are at Christmas time, God is going to promise an even greater surprise for his people, Israel, in Isaiah. Now, um, Isaiah is uh, an enormously big book that has a lot of complicated historical stuff going on, but essentially, it's this story of, on the one hand, God repeatedly calling his people, trust in me, put your trust, your hope in me and me alone. And on the other hand, you've got multiple kings, all of God's people, toying with this, but essentially turning away to worship pretty much anyone or anything else other than God and receiving his judgment as a result. So in the early chapters of Isaiah, you have the story of of King Ahaz and his failure to trust God when faced with these threats from these neighboring countries. And we talked about that. That was the context for the, the Emmanuel prophecy we talked about a few weeks ago. But things actually keep getting worse because his son, King Hezekiah, comes to the throne, and it's like, yes, he'll learn from his father's mistakes. No, he learns to do what his father did, which is to not trust God. And despite Isaiah's repeated pleas, Hezekiah fails. Now, there's this little window of opportunity where Hezekiah does sort of repent and God relents, but the judgment still looms. And at the end of chapter 39, Isaiah is crystal clear with Hezekiah. The day is coming when everything and everyone that you love is going to be taken off to Babylon. That's what's coming. And that's where the narrative hits this totally surprising uh, note. Because although chapter 39 ends on this dark note, like you're all going off to Babylon, then we get to the beginning of chapter 40, which you just heard read. And we hear this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is crazy to me, right? In the face of their repeated, ongoing failure, God offers comfort and peace and forgiveness and hope. Like, He doesn't offer this in response to their faithfulness, like, yay, you guys have finally got it. So here, I'm going to bless you with all these wonderful promises. No, it's despite the people's behavior. God knew the people of Israel had failed, they were failing, and they would continue to fail. And yet, even though they would have to face exile, he promises something far bigger, far better. A secret gift held out to the people. One day their struggles and their fighting would be over. One day their punishment would come to an end. So yes, on the one hand, just like the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah would also eventually go into exile. But, I'm paraphrasing Psalm 30 here, although these sorrows might last for a night, they Joy would come in the morning; they would be sent off to Babylon for season, but it wouldn't be forever. Listen to this, this language that Isaiah uses comfort, comfort, my people, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. He doubles down like emphasis you're always looking for emphasis when you're, you're uh, when you're uh, reading the Bible and it 's like Yeah, you're not mishearing me here. I'm really saying comfort. I'm offering you comfort. There's a sense here of a a mother soothing a crying baby or or a grieving adult being comforted by a dear friend or loved one. And then he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. To speak tenderly is, is another way of saying, speak to the heart. Speak to the heart. This isn't a time for, for intellectual reasoning or pontification. Because my head isn't what hurts, it's my heart. Remember Solomon's complaint in Ecclesiastes that I read at the beginning? He's like, there's no one to comfort me. My heart aches. That's where I need soothing. It's like when your kids have a nightmare or they get, they get sick in the middle of the night. and What do they do? Where, where do they go? Where where do they go? Anyone? The basement? No. <laughs> They're sick. You're going to the basement. We need to quarantine you. Where they come to your bed, right? If you're parents, are we the only ones? <laughs> our kids came to our bed. Not anymore, but you know, when they were little. Um, uh, and then of course, you know, you end up with the elbow in your jaw or a foot in your lung or something. But now I can't literally make nightmares go away. I can't sort of wave some magic wand and make them stop being sick. But I do have some admittedly limited abilities to bring comfort in that situation, right? There's something about climbing in under the covers and snuggling up close that brings a sense of comfort and peace for that child that makes it somehow more bearable. Like, I can get through this now because someone's with me. How much more so can God bring comfort to us in our times of distress? Because not only can he bring comfort, but unlike me, God has the power to actually bring healing. Right? Like, he can actually make the nightmares go away. He can actually heal us of our sicknesses and our illnesses. Think about it. Watching... Whatever it is you do, watching back to back episodes of something or other on Netflix or scrolling endlessly through Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is that you do to temporarily numb the pain, that doesn't actually bring comfort. It doesn't bring healing. It doesn't bring peace. It doesn't affect change. It is powerless to do anything in your life. But the promise here goes even deeper. Because towards the end of chapter 40, and if we had time, we could go through the whole chapter. It's amazing. Uh, Isaiah says this. He gives. He's talking about God. God, Yahweh, gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. God offers not just comfort, but strength also. Look, both Ahaz and Hezekiah and the people of Israel struggled to wait for the Lord, like Isaiah is talking about here. All they could see was doom and gloom and hopelessness and stress and pressure, and all the externals around them. And so they chose to go it alone instead. What of us? Will we continue to seek our own path and fight on under our own strength? Or will we wait for the Lord and find our strength renewed as a result? In a broken world where, where nothing seems to go right, True comfort is hard to find, but we can find it in the presence of God. Now, what does that look like? Well, maybe it means reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Christ for help instead of trying to just figure it all out by ourselves and our own heads. Maybe it means seeking God's direction through through discussion, opening up to your parents or to trusted advisors saying, look, help me, I don't know what to do in this situation. Let's see, what do, you, what do you think God would have me do here? Maybe it means renewing our commitment to personal fellowship with God through prayer and meditation on His Word. Maybe it means refusing to settle for escapism and instead finding healthier ways to work through our uncertainty and our fear and our anxieties, putting down our phones and choosing to take up a hobby instead, like creating instead of just simply consuming. In this world, we're going to have trouble. Jesus told us that. But God offers comfort to the hurting and power to the faint if we'll take him. At his word. So, to recap where we've been so far, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, like us, looks around and he says, Man, this world is broken, and I don't see the hope. There's no comfort for the afflicted. Then we go to Isaiah, who recognizes the chaotic situation all around him. I mean, Judah was in a precarious situation surrounded by global superpowers. But Isaiah prophesies that God will bring comfort for the afflicted and strength for those who trust and wait on the Lord. But we can't stop there. I mean, I love the promises of Isaiah, but but if you're astute, you may find yourself thinking, okay, Jonathan, that's great, but how do I know God is really going to come through on all these beautiful poetic promises from some old book? I want you to look with me at a man named Simeon. Simeon in the New Testament. Remember Simeon? He's, a, he's another one of those minor characters in the Christmas story who never really gets a lot of airplay and who really deserves more attention than he gets. And if we see in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, he was a man righteous and devout. And what was he doing? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, there's no indication that he was a prophet. We don't know. There's nothing here that says he was a priest or somebody special. Just a man in Jerusalem. Perhaps, like some of you, he was waiting patiently for God to come through. These words here, it says, the consolation of Israel. He's quoting here Isaiah 40. Consolation is just another way of saying comfort. It's the same underlying word in Greek, comfort, consolation. It's the same thing. He's waiting for that comfort. God, you promised it to us in Isaiah 40. It's been 700 years, and I'm still waiting. Where is it? Remember, the Jews, the Jewish people at this time, they're a minority living under the might of Roman authority. Worse still, God hasn't really spoken through his prophets for 400 years. To say things are not great would be putting it mildly. And yet, Simeon hadn't given up hope. He was clinging tightly to what he knew to be true, even when he couldn't see it or feel it. But then one day the Holy Spirit came upon him and led him to the temple where he has this miraculous encounter, right? And, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. And where the parents, that's Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up into his arms and blessed God. So Jesus, he's like a month old at this time. But Simeon is given this special insight through the power of the Holy Spirit to see and comprehend that this baby is the fulfillment of the promises made to Isaiah 700 years earlier. Simeon is literally holding in his arms the comfort, the consolation of Israel. He's holding the comfort of Israel in his arms. And so then, I I mean, like, of course, he's like, where else can I go from here? Like, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Like, what else in his life could compare to this moment? Simeon got to see with his own eyes the salvation, the comfort, the the hope that the people had been looking for for centuries. And as we look ahead into 2022, how do we know that God is going to come through? Because Simeon's experience is proof of it. It's right here. God keeps his promises. But it's not just Simeon. There's more. Um, If we go back to the beginning of Isaiah 40, in verses 3 through 5, we read this, right, these famous words. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. Uneven ground shall become level. The rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So when was this glory of the Lord revealed? These verses are quoted in all four of the Gospels at the beginning of the ministry of John, at the ministry of John the Baptist, preparing the way for the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. The comfort Promise to God's people. The consolation that Simeon saw in the temple was about to be revealed in full through the ministry, the life, the public life and ministry of Jesus. So again, how do we know that God can be trusted? That we can indeed hold tightly to his promises? Because God followed through on all the glorious poetic language of Isaiah by actually clothing himself in human flesh, not just fancy words on your leather-bound Bible, like Jesus came and took on human flesh, right? Born as a real baby at a real moment in human history, lying in a, in a, in a plain manger wrapped up in rough linen cloths surrounded by smelly animals and sinful, imperfect people like you and me. And he walked And he talked, and he breathed the same air that we're breathing. And he drank water, and he broke bread, and he smiled, and he laughed, and he cried, and he wept, and he got angry. And he prayed, and he sought God, and he was rejected, and he was abandoned, and betrayed, and beaten, and finally nailed to a cross to die. Not for anything that he had done wrong, but for everything that we have. And then, just when all hope seemed lost, at the moment when everything seemed to have gone wrong, when Satan thought that the game was over and evil had won the day, God raised Jesus from the dead, conquering death and opening the way for all of us to be restored in relationship with our Heavenly Father once again. That's how we know that the promises to Isaiah can be trusted. Because God staked his own life on them. And so Christmas is a time for us to remember that God has not forgotten us or abandoned us or left us alone. He truly is God with us. As we wrap all this up, my hope, my prayer every year is that you guys would be blessed abundantly, blessed in your your marriages and your homes and in your families and your work and your house and everything else. But at the same time, I want you to know that when trouble comes, and it is going to come, that God promises to be your source of comfort and strength if you'll let him. Because in moments of enormous stress, King Ahaz and King Hezekiah and all the people, they repeatedly turned away from the living water. They tried to forge a way ahead under their own strength. It's an enormous temptation for all of us still today. But as we look into this next year, into this new year, will you commit to live differently? To be more like Joseph? to be more like Simeon, to be more like John the Baptist, to turn to God instead in those moments of anxiety and suffering and fear, turning to him through time spent in prayer, through time spent in his word, through acts of service, through encouragement of other believers, through times of corporate worship here at church, through the fellowship of the Lord's Supper, which we're about to experience here in a few moments. These are the primary ways that God has given us to bring comfort into our lives, lifting us out of the darkness and into the light, if we will let him. Will you commit to trusting God in these ways to bring comfort into your lives this year? Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for this gift of encouragement that you bring us this this promise of hope and life. Lord, this promise of comfort that in the middle of the stresses and fears, the uncertainties that lie ahead, that you will be our strength. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.